This podcast is made possible by NoCD. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient OCD therapy. NoCD therapists are trained in exposure and response prevention, otherwise known as ERP therapy, which is the gold standard treatment for OCD. With NoCD, you can do virtual, live, face-to-face video sessions with one of their licensed, specialty-trained therapists, and they accept most major insurance plans. To find out more about NoCD, visit NoCD.com to book a free 15-minute call. We're hot. We're fun. We're crying. But we're trying. We've got looks. We've got books. Also, we're sad. Sad Sad girls who read. Hi, sad girls. Hello, hello. I'm a tired fucking girl today. She's a tired, tired girl. Allegra, what have you been up to? You've been up to some exciting things, queen. I went Tell to Con in San Francisco. Yes. It was so amazing. It's like the best weekend ever with all of my people. Yes. Like, how can you exist without like 2,000 other people around you that have OCD? Oh my God, I want to go. Every, you have to next year, except it's in Orlando. Fuck us. Orlando. Florida is not the place right now. But, and just like all of my best friends are there, all of like my favorite OCD therapists. Like, I genuinely was like, should I move back to California to no. like share an office space with like all of my favorite therapists? No, you're going to find like, some favorites here. Best weekend. It's like the best. I mean, like, there's no other weekend that makes my heart feel as full as like OCD con. That's so beautiful. And you you led two panels? I did. I did um, OCD and sex, the birds and the bees and OCD is what it was called for young adults. But it was so cool because there were older people in the room. And like one mm-hmm. of them raised their hand during the Q&A and said, I'm so glad that there are other older people at this talk because like everybody with OCD needs to hear about the impact of OCD on sex. Oh my God. I know I that. I did LGBTQIA plus representation and OCD treatment, which was so amazing as well. And then I led a grief support group and I was literally crying the whole time. That's <laughs> like, so cathartic. You, but like, I'm going to air my grievances. What did you talk about in the grief support? In the grief support group, somebody had talked about like, not just grieving everything that they'd lost to OCD, but grieving like, the way that they wanted to feel about certain things. Mm -hmm. And so I brought up like when I had my most recent spike, what was like, honestly, one of the most concerning pieces is like, I genuinely couldn't connect to like how much I had wanted a baby, like literally just like two months ago. Like I had wanted nothing more than to be pregnant. I would like envision it in my body. But then when I had the OCD spike, it was like, I don't even know if I want a baby in my body that would make me so uncomfortable. I would feel so weird. And that's not necessarily my feeling. It's how I felt because of OCD. So Mm -hmm. like that and just mourning, like everything that I have lost to OCD and like all of the different life experiences. So many people talked about their twenties, their thirties. Like a lot of people were saying like, I, you know, I'm now in my forties and I'm having to date for the first time in my entire life. And it's just like, that fucking gets me too. You know, like I didn't have the college experience that other people had. I wasn't dating when I was 20, like other people were. OCD can just take so much from you. That's so beautiful that you got to be around all your people and feel the feelings. I'm definitely going to go with you next year. You have to. It's like literally the best weekend ever. You looked iconic. Our OCD support group. There is? Yeah, there was one. Shiva ran it. Shiva? I love I Shiva. I saw Shiva. I know. I know. Did you I, tell her I read her book? I didn't. I should have. Um, we oh were my just God. Like, 
catching up about life. But yeah, she ran an an ROCD support group and probably will next year. So you got to go. I love that. I'm like just in in awe that other people experience what I experience. I swear to you, Erin, like when you start to meet people that experience what you experience, like they're almost going to feel like a celebrity to you. Like there's nothing like meeting someone literally like to just hear about everybody else's obsessions and like, oh yeah, I was worried that I like was going to fuck the dog or that I'm a cannibal or that it's mm-hmm. like, it just makes sense to you. Like you don't mm-hmm. even need to explain yourself because mm-hmm. everybody around you just gets it. Totally. And it's really isolating having OCD a lot of the time because the people that we love the most sometimes like our family, our partners don't experience it so explaining it to them they cannot grasp it if you haven't dealt with it you can't fully grasp it's it it's hard to fully understand it now yeah i don't i'm not gonna say i wouldn't want to i, I mean i think dating someone with ocd would be hard if i have ocd right you'd both just be like spewing your obsessions Obsessions all day no but yeah. there are couples like ethan and katie who are so fabulous and i had dinner with them that they both have ocd they're getting married next month and like they love it Wow. Do they have the same subtype? Or I actually don't think so. Okay. Well, that's kind of good. They can also you started therapy with no CD. I started therapy with no CD. So y'all can keep listening to the podcast because I'm not a fraud. Um, so how was it? Like walk us through like what was the first session like? Okay. So I was nervy. I always get nervous on my first sessions. Like, I don't want to, like, have to go through, like, my whole past and explain all the trauma. I saw someone made a PowerPoint for their first therapy sessions, and I honestly want to do that so I don't have to re-explain. I can just point, like, and then I was traumatized at eight years old, and this is what happened. Like, oh, funny. Just go through the slides because it's exhausting to go through all of it. But anyway, it was very informative. She gave a lot of facts and just basically like all the scientific evidence how ERP works and we just kind of went through like what exactly my obsessions were and she diagnosed me officially with OCD so I I self-diagnosed like two years ago but now I'm officially OCD girly I'm not just insane I'm not insane I just have OCD but yeah it was really I, I was gonna say reassuring but then like that's probably not what I should say because No, here's my whole thing. Like not all reassurance is bad. You Mm. should know that you have OCD and it's okay to Mm. be reassured of that. Now, I'm not going to tell you 80,000 times a day you have OCD. You have like, that would be reassurance. But I think that people mistake like general education, especially at the beginning of treatment for Mm. reassurance. And that's not necessarily the case. Like I want my clients to feel reassured when they know like, oh, this is not pedophilia. This is OCD. Like, of course you need that reassurance. I appreciate you saying that because when she said, oh, from all these questions, you have passed like you have like I got emotional because I knew that I had it in the back of my brain. I'm like, what if I'm just like nuts? Which is like everyone's fear with OCD. Like if this is OCD, then this just means that this is true. I'm a horrible person and I'm incapable of love or being loved and it was just nice to have a path forward and steps to take. And I'm going to start doing two sessions a week now. That's such good news. And I'm excited to start ERP. I'll report back on how that journey this is. Amazing. Oh my God. I can't believe it. Allegra, I wouldn't have done it without you. Allegra's like, Aaron, you need to go. You need to go. I'm so glad I did it because I've been putting it off for so freaking long. 
That's what like, I feel about trauma therapy. I feel like we gen- like I have my second session tomorrow. Like we started this at the same time, but I've literally been needing like Lori has been asking me to get drama therapy for like eight years now. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. We're both like taking the steps and it's hard and it's hard. Vulnerable. But it's oh my God. It's like the I, even today I'm like, oh God, to go into her office and talk to her tomorrow. It's like nerve wracking. It's your deepest, darkest fears and wounds. You're opening up. You're like, look at me. This is me. It's really just like showing who you are. It's so scary. I'm just so excited for you. I feel like this is going to be tremendously helpful. Do you like the therapist? I do a lot. I feel like we would be friends in real life. I think she's probably around our age, maybe older, not like a lot older. She has like a couple tattoos I can see, which is always a plus for me. She's just as very knowledgeable, upbeat, encouraging, warm. She made me feel very safe. A lot of the things I look for in a therapist. So I'm ready. This week's book is Hello, Beautiful by Anne Napolitano. The inside cover reads, William Waters grew up in a house silenced by tragedy where his parents could hardly bear to look at him, much less love him. So when he meets the spirited and ambitious Julia Padovano in his freshman year of college, it's as if the world has lit up around him. With Julia comes her family, as she and her three sisters are inseparable. Sylvie, the family's dreamer, the happiest with her nose in a book. Cecilia is a free-spirited artist and Emmeline patiently takes care of them all. With the Padovanos, William experiences a newfound contentment. Every moment in their house is filled with loving chaos. But then darkness from William's past surfaces, jeopardizing not only Julia's carefully orchestrated plans for their future, but the sisters' unshakable devotion to one another. The result is a catastrophic family rift that changes their lives for generations. Dun, dun, dun. Wow. I also feel like it was supposed to be a modern day take on Little Woman. And then, okay, I don't know if I got this right. So like, please correct me if I'm wrong. But Uh the manuscript that got to Alice Uh was Sylvie's manuscript, right? Or no? Which one? The one that she gave her? Well, okay. So she was given one. But then remember, she said, I got this really sad, like... yes. So I was confused because that kind of made it seem like it could have been Sylvie's book. It did seem that way, but there would be no way that she would get that because. Right. Who would have given that it was, to her? Yeah, that was a little bit confusing. So it was not Sylvie's manuscript. Sylvie's manuscript was given to Alice. And was that supposed to be this book? I have no idea. And I never read Little Women, so I didn't even understand the okay, reference. Okay, I'm glad really. you said that because I haven't <laughs> oopsies like we should be reading that that's i actually really want to read that more than anything i really do want to read it okay let's read it yeah we should put that on our list yeah so for like what were your first impressions allegra you know i think it started off pretty slow and it was really i feel like it's always hard because we get like these brilliant books like mad honey and then i feel like for whatever reason like the book after just like is not at Mm. all it doesn't come close to that so coming off of mad honey and then opening this i just felt like it was so slow at first Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it was not only so slow like the pacing was off but i also just couldn't emotionally connect to any Mm. of the characters it felt like i was reading a literal timeline of like fact 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 julia met william Mm. got married i don't know it just felt too factual it felt too 
telly and not showy. And I was like, let's get this fucking show on the road. I totally agree. And I think the reason we both didn't connect as well is because this book opens set in the 70s and 80s, but it's written like it's in a century before that. So it's not matching up. It's written like it's the old times when it's not. And the styles are clashing. And that made it really hard for both of us to connect to it as well. Absolutely. But I really liked the end. The end really got me. But this was a book that was on the bestseller list. It was Oprah's book of the year. It was 4.3 on Goodreads, 4.5 on Amazon. So when we're looking for books, sad girls, we're doing all we can. We're checking off the boxes and we don't know what to do. So not. Yeah, this did not hit. It didn't it didn't slap completely, but it wasn't the worst book. And I also feel like to cover like the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo covered an enormous amount of time, but really well this like I'm even looking at it right now. And it's like, William, 19, you know, 70 to or 1960 to 1978. Like, how can seven Mm. or whatever cover 18 years? Like, there was just a lot missing. I feel like the author was very ambitious. And I don't think necessarily like achieved the goals. Totally. The spanning of time wasn't as thorough. It kind of felt jumpy to me. Yeah. That's what you were saying. You're like, how did it go from this to this? Yeah. I just felt like a lot was missing. And Mm -hmm. because it was missing, we couldn't connect. Totally. But we did connect to some of it. So we'll just do a little bit of the plot for you if you've forgotten so in the beginning we learned william lost his sister when she was a baby and his parents were mourning the loss of their little girl so they didn't pay attention to william at all and this was giving a little life this was giving jude energy i felt so many parallels also like jude william injures himself playing basketball which is the only thing he loves and he had to stop playing basketball and he's severely depressed okay that was so tragic. I have to so say tragic. his parents, like you can absolutely grieve, but to give up your child in that way Fully, for everything that William experienced the rest of his life. That made me so immensely sad. And of course, I understand their grief, but you're right. That did not give them the right. Absolutely to not. You chose to have a second child. Like you better be a parent to that child. And the hospital calls saying that he's dying and he, they, parents are like okay the doctor goes you know parents shouldn't do this right william protect william at all costs william meets julia at school and their relationship begins very quickly because julia's type a times a million and she takes charge she says we are dating that was really interesting to me so i was wondering like how that situation and marriage came about but i guess if you think back to like the 70s yeah kind of was marriage it was like met someone you gave it a shot there wasn't Mm -hmm. the apps there wasn't anything else and she literally just said like i will marry you and like this is how our life is gonna be they dated like a month or so like and that happened all the time my parents only dated a few months yeah look how that turned out no fault no fault to my mom she did her best no that was interesting but then i was like this has to be indicative of the time period yeah totally that time period was a shit show i mean we're still in the shit and show. it was the whole like you have to have a husband right like julia really bought into that misogyny mm-hmm. and that like you know the fucked up gender roles and norms mm-hmm. of the time of like you have to have a husband the husband has money 
you have steady careers, you get married and you have babies, which is also the path that Rose really wanted for them. Mama Rose was the monster of the book to me. Yeah. She had so many issues. Cecilia gets pregnant at 17. Rose kicks her out of the house, refuses to talk to her and refuses to talk to the granddaughter. Huh? Because she, Rose, got pregnant when she was 17 and her mom did the same thing. So instead of healing generational trauma, Rose is like, I'm going to repeat this and be a bitch. This book, to me, like one of the main themes was cross-generational trauma Mm. and like the impact of cross-generational everything and how it can get like repaired down the line, which I think we see come to fruition by the end of the book. But that typically is what happens. Like if you aren't actively working on yourself, we tend to just imitate and do the same thing as generations above us. It's what's transmitted to us. We look at that as like, this is how life is. And I'm going to do this again. And it's not Rose's fault, but it was her responsibility to do the work. And change and not treat her children like that. Absolutely. Like to think that that maybe was okay. Like I understand that you learned that from your own mother, but it is your responsibility. And I firmly believe this when you decide to have kids, it is your job to say, how can I better myself? So I'm not passing on what was negative that was passed on to me. Mm, 100%. What do you think about Rose, the way that she reacted to that pregnancy? I think it had a lot to do with religion and also their culture. And I like, I definitely want to speak carefully because of course I know that certain cultures have certain practices to me. I think it was a lot about like, she was Catholic, right? So I think it was a lot about, yeah, they were Catholic and I know Catholic guilt is very real. And I think that it was her mom not wanting to face judgment from society And basically saying, like, you're fucked up. You've done this really horrible thing. Like, I'm not going to speak to you, which is just so beyond messed up. Her baby was a baby. Like, Cecilia was 17 and her mom disowned her and her granddaughter. How do you think that affected Cecilia? What was going on in her head? I mean, you definitely have to feel really unstable in your relationship with your mom. Like, if, if my own parent just, like, gives me up. Mm. What does that mean about me? But I feel like Cecilia, at least in like reading throughout and like looking at the end of the book is that Cecilia, I think really like forgave her mom Mm -hmm. even very early on. It's Mm -hmm. something like she was able to forgive her mom because she had to keep loving her mom. Mm -hmm. Like there was no other way for her. But to me, I would feel like love is definitely not unconditional. Mm -hmm. And I would feel super, super, super shamed for like having sex and accidentally getting pregnant. And then the baby's father just wasn't in the picture. She didn't even tell him she was pregnant, did she? No, I don't think so. so. And then poor Charlie dies the same day that Cecilia's baby is born. I know he goes into the room after they haven't been speaking because Rose controlled everyone. She, you know, she controlled Charlie And he said, hello, beautiful. And with those words, Cecilia knew she was forgiven. It's so so pure. It's so beyond sweet. I was confused about the relationship with Charlie and the daughters at first because they kept saying he's always drunk. He's this, he's that. I didn't think they were as close as they really were. But then he died and they were crushed by that death. I know. And I feel like that's how I thought at the beginning too. I thought Charlie was some like deadbeat father, but that's what, what I, I thought 
think happened is that like Charlie had all of these dreams and ambitions and desires. He was reading Mm -hmm. poetry. Rose shut him the fuck down and was like, go get some corporate job. Like we don't do this. Mm -hmm. We need to provide for this family. And I think he probably drank to cope with the fact that he Mm -hmm. wasn't allowed to live his life in the way that he wanted to, which Mm -hmm. like Julia then went on and did the exact same thing to William when they were married. Julia literally did the same thing controlling Williams, every move saying, this is what you should do for school. You're not playing basketball. You're not writing. That's exactly what Rose did to Charlie. I didn't even think about that. It's so crazy how we repeat the patterns. Yeah. She literally said, you know, like you're going to get a PhD in history. Like basketball is not a career. Whereas I think that Charlie really wanted a, like a writing career. He loved reading poetry. I know him and Sylvie connected in that way. That was really sweet. And then you think about it, Rose didn't like Sylvie as much growing up because Sylvie wasn't the, you know, let's get a corporate job. She was skipping school and reading books, which is like so iconic. I know. I, I identified most with Sylvie, I think. Same. A thousand yeah. percent. We are the bookworms. So then after Charlie meets Cecilia's daughter, her name is Izzy. He leaves the hospital room. He collapses in the hallway and he dies. And this happens a lot throughout the book. Someone dies and someone's born. Someone comes, someone goes. They call it like that third door. I don't know if that's connected in any way. But Rose blames him dying on Cecilia. It's so beyond fucked up. It really bothered me. If that then is like, just, I'm just going to abandon all of you. I'm moving to Florida. Like I'm done. I'm done with this family. Mm -hmm. She gets up. Everyone needed her. And it's like, look, I understand when you're grieving that you can like, you know, do what you need to do. But that was like the point in which she said, like, I'm done. Yeah. She never could articulate what was going on inside her to her daughters, to her husband. She kind of just let everything build up and then lashed out or ran away. Yeah. And I do think a lot of it is like cross-generational. I think that she was really concerned about finances, right? And that's where like the cultural piece is really, really hard. You know, like it's not my place to say like what was right or wrong related to their culture. But I'm guessing that like if, I mean, like they did grow up, I think, struggling financially. Like it was made clear that they were of a lower socioeconomic status. Like Rose was literally gardening and trading that for food. So Mm -hmm. I can see from Rose's perspective that she was probably thinking I'm keeping this family alive, you know, like I'm trying to just make us survive, but that's not what was, I mean, that's not what was getting transmitted. I just, I feel like across all cultures and religions and wealth class, is that what Yeah. Or like, yeah, absolutely. Or like socioeconomic status. Yeah. So I feel like with, with like all of those in the seventies, eighties, even nineties, even two thousands, People were not focused on mental health, their own or their families, and they were just unconsciously passing this shit, not dealing with shit. Therapy wasn't a thing. And I feel if that wasn't the case and Rose had have been in therapy and was working, no matter what, how much money she was making, I feel like this story could have gone a different way. Yeah. It makes me sad. She would have had a better understanding of where this came from. And I also think that like, from a psychological perspective, there was a lot of enmeshment. It mm. means that like when, when people are enmeshed, it's like you don't know where you begin and where somebody else ends. Or you don't know where you end and somebody else begins. And we see this a lot in cultures that aren't Western. 
Western is often focused on like the individual, whereas in some Eastern cultures, it's like you literally are your family. You are mm. your mother. You do what they say. You like the same things. Like there was so much enmeshment that like none of them were able to tolerate differences. I mean, some of them were, I think like the, the siblings were, but that was like, I mean, Sylvie and Julia literally were one. When you say culture, what culture are they? I never thought they were I'm like guessing Padovano. It's some I think like I'm getting some kind of like Hispanic Dominican like I just didn't that I wish they would I guess that's not their responsibility, but I had I had no idea like what specific culture you know I didn't... What's interesting though that like you're saying this, it is the writer's job to orient you to a story. And and it sounds like you what you're saying is like I wasn't oriented enough. I wasn't like this story wasn't built out enough for you to know. And even I am not certain of their like culture or I'm just guessing based on the hints that there was like a low socioeconomic status. They obviously weren't white growing up. Didn't they all share the same bed? Like all of these clues lead us to like socioeconomic status is low. We look at last name, but it definitely wasn't spelled out for us. And I think that's what you're feeling right now is like, wait, I'm so disoriented in the story, which we were a lot of the time. Yeah, I was really confused. So Julia reads William's book, even though he tells her, hey, don't read that. And he is viewing this as a private journal. He's viewing this as a way to get his thoughts on the page. It's his own therapy. And not only does Julia read it and then judges him for giving hints that he has depression in his journal... She lets Sylvie read it because Sylvie's a reader. She's like, hey, do you think this is good? Julia's like, do you think this could get him a book deal, basically? What do you do you think this was a violation of William's privacy? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that. And it was also another attempt of Julia to control something. It couldn't have just been cathartic for William. It couldn't have just been something he enjoyed. It's like he was it was either like, this has to be a book or like, I really don't understand this at all. And I need this to go away, which is so, it's so beyond messed up. And it also like reading the contents of that book, or it wasn't even a book. It was a journal. Yeah. Contents of the journal also made Julia believe like, wait, I don't really know my husband Mm -hmm. and I don't really know the life that he wants to pursue. And it's like, no shit because you've controlled his entire life. And you don't listen when he tells you what he wants. No. And not only that, like, she didn't even, like, ask if he wanted children. She just, like, came home naked. Like, all of it was, like, severe, severe, severe control because she didn't want her life to end up like her mother's and father's. But it's, like, you're literally repeating what your mother did. And also the reason she got pregnant was control. It was because... Cecilia got pregnant. She didn't want Cecilia to be alone in that. So she's like, oh, I'm going to get pregnant too. Okay, William, we're getting pregnant. So now we're going to have two babies and the babies can hang out. That's not how that works. Not how that works. So Sylvie recognizes when she reads William's writing, this deeper sadness that Julia just judges it and is disgusted by it. But Sylvie recognizes it. Did you, when they had that talk on the bench, they had that vulnerable moment. I totally knew something. I knew something would happen. I felt like at the beginning of the book, I was trying to think about like, you know, it clues us into like William's darkness and then mm-hmm. brings up the family. And I was thinking what could break up the family? And I knew in that moment, like him and Sylvie are getting together. They are. 
It and was so thought weird. That, that was like impossible. Like the thought of like you marrying your ex-wife's sister. Like what? Okay. So what would you do, Erin? Like if your sister, I guess maybe the situation matters, but if your sister married your ex-husband, would you be able to talk to her? Or would you cut her off like Julia did? First of all, I'm an only child. I have no idea what it would feel like to have an actual sister, but I do have a best friend that I consider. Yeah, I was going to say, like, what if your best friend married your ex? Yeah, that I consider. I I don't think I could talk to them. I think that would be where I I draw the line. (laughs) Yeah, that's not that's not chill. That's not cool. What would you do? I would also probably not be able to talk to them. But at the same time, like Sylvie and William's love was so pure and it was so real that like, how do you turn away from that? Like how, and then also I just, in this specific context, like Julia treated him like fucking shit. That's true. And it's not really his fault. And I know that we don't always get that context, but Julia really did treat William like shit. She didn't go to the fucking hospital. You signed vows that said for better or for worse in sickness. And in, like, I to me, it just felt so cruel that it's kind of like, Julia, what did you expect? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, and she were- didn't she didn't want to be with him anyway. She had decided oh. she didn't want to be with him before he left. Right. She was so unfulfilled. So so it's it's like, I don't think I would have been able to come back from that, but I would never treat a husband the way that Julia treated him. So the situation just feels so like different. 100%. Also, you were saying earlier that in this time period, the way they view like this love that can't keep us apart, I just feel like this situation wouldn't happen now i don't know why i feel like we take love more realistically now you wouldn't just mistakenly fall in love with your sister's husband would you well i think the way that i look at it is that i think a lot of the times in the older days like in like the 60s and 70s like it was just kind of like who you met and like maybe Mm. you loved them but it was also kind of like and like let's just do this Whereas I think that people now, and especially women, consider like, no, I actually want someone that I really do love that also aligns with my values and my X, Y, and Z. Julia didn't marry for love. She married mm-hmm. because she could control William and she thought that they would have like a successful life together. Mm-hmm. I think that Sylvie was like, you know, and Julia would make fun of her. Like, why do you want this love out of the books? Sylvie wanted true, true love that didn't depend on someone's like, socioeconomic status and job Mm. and I think they weren't used to that back then to Julia it was like you're so fucking naive why do you want love you should want a husband that has a job Mm. in today's day and age people are especially women again are like I'm not settling for some like shit that I don't want and her idea of love was that they saw each other understood each other on this deeper level that she had never experienced before yeah, and William had never experienced. Before. That's what's so sad is he literally was married to her sister and Julia had never asked him any of those questions. She didn't care to know. Right. And so, so I sad. think like that's what's also so tough about it. But I think Julia had every right to do what she did. I just can't imagine walking home and seeing your sister with your ex-husband. And then the kid that they had is your niece oh god also so then okay william obviously horribly tries to kill himself Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Sylvie visits him in the hospital every single day. Julia does not visit him once. And then William decides to give up his child, Alice. Mm-hmm. What did you think of that? It was really hard to read that part because I understand where he's coming from. I understand when you're you cannot even take care of yourself. You're in that dark of a depression that you don't trust yourself with somebody you love. You don't have enough energy. But I don't think giving his daughter up was the right thing to do. I think getting yeah, I think he he got help, which he did. And I think he could have said, hey, I need a year. I need a year to be in, in therapy like and he'd get on meds and then I'll be back and I'll be able to show up for my daughter. But he's just like, bye. The connection wasn't made until the very end. And I think mm-hmm. that was also difficult. Like mm-hmm. I can understand the connection between like my little sister or my big sister died. And then that changed our whole life. Like, I don't want a kid that does the same to me, et cetera, et cetera. But I feel like it wasn't ever like clear and it just kind of felt super cold in that yeah. moment. Like, nope, gone for good. And like, doesn't necessarily even care about it. But then mm-hmm. Sylvie like loves him anyways, like despite the fact that he doesn't really care. Yeah, I think that that feels difficult and a little bit unforgivable. Totally. And I'm like, he didn't even want the kid in the fucking first place. That's what's so hard is like, he didn't even want the child. And I do blame Julia for a lot of it, but also he is a grown man. Then if you don't want a kid for yourself, stop having sex with someone without a condom. She didn't like rape you. Right, right, right. So it's like, but that, I guess that goes to show William's lack of like, he had no sense of self. Nothing. Which was so, he just grew into such a beautiful person with Sylvie. I know. And found the things he loved and was helping people. And ugh, I loved him. By the end of the book, I was so proud of him. When all this happened and then <laughs> William was like, I'm 23. I was like, wait, what? I thought they were 40 this entire time. Oh, no, I knew that they were. Because if you think about it, Julia and and whatever married like when they were in college. And I think that's what you did in the 70s. You met someone at like 18, 19 and you got married. That is absurd. He was married, had a kid, tried to kill himself by 23 <laughs> And that's, that's why I think so many people now at our age, you know, like if you're like 30 and single, you feel like a total fucking loser because as of like 40 years ago, people were literally getting married at the age of like 18, 19. It's but it really didn't hard work. to comprehend. Yeah. Oh, and I but feel it, like obviously it didn't work because the divorce rate. I actually was talking to my friend's mom at the conference and she said she met her husband. I think they got married when she was 20. And she said, if I had met him at 25, we never would have stayed together. But the fact that they were already married and decided to just like keep staying married. But she said, I changed so much by the time that I got to age 25, that if I like hadn't met him until then, there's no way we would have ended up together. I think really it's 30 is the magic number. Like if you love the person at 30, that is who you really are. So Allegra, two years. So in the hospital, William, when he was healing, the doctors were saying, you have to face your trauma. You have to write down. You have to say all your secrets. Is this how trauma therapy works? Like, what is this approach? No, but I just like loved it. And I shouldn't love it because you can't force someone to tell Mm -hmm. their like, I think because I think because secrecy was such a big component of why William got to that place, mm. therapists recognized that and said, like, we can't have secrets. We need to really talk about the things that we're feeling 
but I mean, I don't know. I definitely feel like to some, they would probably see it as like a violation of a client's internal, like sense of like boundaries and self. But also I thought it was so effective. Like that became his life motto is no bullshit, no secrets. I love it. And I agree if you had trauma to deal with the trauma with being transparent, but I can also see my OCD latching to that and being like no secrets and then saying every single thing in the entire, in my brain always. This podcast is made possible by NoCD. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient OCD therapy. NoCD therapists are trained in exposure and response prevention, otherwise known as ERP therapy, which is the gold standard treatment for OCD. With NoCD, you can do virtual, live, face-to-face video sessions with one of their licensed, specialty-trained therapists, and they accept most major insurance plans. To find out more about NoCD, visit NoCD.com to book a free 15-minute call. Okay, so Arash. I loved Arash. What a guy. What a man. What a man. What a sweet, sweet man. So he says to William on 168, you're depressed, not crazy. It's not insane to be depressed in this world. It's more sane than being happy. I never trust those upbeat individuals who grin no matter what's going on. Amen, Arash. It's like toxic positivity. And the term that I just learned is spiritual narcissism. Ooh, I've never heard that before. You've got to look it up. I hate, I I know exactly. Yeah. Like, like define that for me. The way that I took it was like, it's almost like someone gaslighting you with spirituality where it's like, you think you're holier than thou because of like life and your spirituality. It's like that kind of like, I feel like spiritual gaslighting might be like the better way to describe it. Do you know what that reminds me of? What? The yoga cult basically i was in you weren't a cult i mean i didn't know it was a cult it was a huge yoga studio in new york and yoga to the people i taught there for four years i practiced there for longer and the owner came out as being super abusive and a sexual predator awful 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 but he would use things like i'm holier than thou like i'm so enlightened blah 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 blah, blah. it was that to a t okay that that is it I like can't think of this hour, but enlightenment. Like you feel more enlightened than others. You have this mm-hmm. grandiose, like if you think about a narcissist, it's obviously a clinical term that we overuse, but it's like someone who has a grandiose sense of self, but that's it, but with like enlightenment and spirituality. It's kind of the scariest because they lure you in and act like they're gonna change your life and make you better and more grounded, and then they manipulate you and steal your shit <laughs> no yeah it's like literally thinking that they're holier than thou so arash was like is that how we say his name arash arash I'm i sure. want to marry him first and foremost and he was also like one of the first people besides sylvie to not treat him like he was crazy which in that time mm-hmm. period yeah I, julia was so afraid of his depression it like made me so uncomfortable inside me too. I was like, she would not like me. Julia, we would not have been friends. Julia would have been like, this podcast can't even exist. She, Yeah, most people who I tell the name of our podcast to, they laugh. She would have been... She would have been concerned for our safety. I feel like she's someone who would gasp a lot 
like hand to chest like yes. yeah and like thought it was almost like this like disease like this disgusting mm-hmm. disease that he could that give he, to his daughter which was so freaking sad how she like basically just controlled alice and kept checking for depression mm-hmm. and it's like the way that you're controlling her is probably going to lead to her being depressed and alice felt so trapped she was saying my mom won't let me just be she wants me to be a certain way she wants me to do certain things and then alice had to overcompensate and act like she was okay when she wasn't which was making her depressed so julia send julia to therapy all of these like i feel like so many of the plot lines like coincided with earlier things like remember when william couldn't cough as a child i literally wrote that down in the outline Julia was doing exactly that to Alice. Like, you must smile. If you show any kind of sadness, you're going to get in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. It was this masking the kids had to put on. Mm -hmm. And in that, they were closeted from their own who they really were. They had to hide themselves. I feel so sad for all the children in this book. All the children, yeah. And Alice was, like, repressed as fuck i feel like yeah never like she was so tight-laced is that the right word yeah her heart was so closed off she didn't want to show herself to anyone Poor although thing. I, feel, I do feel like some of the sisters like emmeline i love that she was like i am a lesbian and mm-hmm. i am living my life mm-hmm. i'm not conforming i'm not like this is who i am this is who i love and that's what i'm doing Rose wrote her off too. Rose probably having a fit. One of my daughters a lesbian, and one of them had a baby, and one is divorced. Yeah, one's divorced, and one married the other one's act. Like Rose was upset. Allegra, back to when William had to, when he was younger, had to hide in a closet. He had to hide himself coughing because he didn't want to trigger his parents. What kind of environment, when you do have to closet yourself like that and hide yourself, what does that do to a small child? Well, it silences you. I think that that was the foundation of him keeping secrets. He Mm -hmm. basically learned, like, I can't be myself. Mm -hmm. And I don't deserve to be myself. That was a big theme in the book is I'm not deserving of love. I'm not deserving of your gratitude, of your support. It really was like, I can't be who I am because who I am is damaging to people. And I think he took on the burden for his sister dying, which is so unbelievably fucked up. And then also felt like, I make bad things happen, which is probably why in part he didn't want to keep Alice, Mm. but like to not be allowed to cough in your own home, that stunts a child's development so much. Always hiding, always worried. He's going to upset one of his parents walking on eggshells. That's upsetting at any age, but as a child, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. He had to learn to, cut so many different parts of himself off. And I think that's why he was okay with Julia, just like taking the reins. He didn't give a shit. He was like, I've cut off my whole self. Mm. I'll just follow. As long as I don't have to make these choices, Mm. I'll follow. But obviously that's not how life works. Like he was so stunted in his relationship with Julia too. Mm. I mean, like he didn't even sleep. They were laying next to each other and he didn't even sleep. I was so proud of him when he finally got help and he took his correct medication and he worked. He worked every day on his mental health and he stopped hiding everything he was hiding. He, I really 
I was cheering for him so much of the book and I was so proud of how far he came. So we, we find out Sylvie gets cancer and ends up passing away and ruining my life. But I thought William wouldn't have been able to survive it. Truly. I, I thought so too. And oh God, after being married for like 40 years, people, by the way, like they were together and got married and then Julia just stopped talking to all of them to go as close as they were to 40 years of total mm-hmm. silence. Mm-hmm. It's fucking nuts to think about. And took her daughter away from the city she was born in, this family she was born in. So, Allegra, what do you think about Julia telling Alice that her father died? I think because it's I, fucked up. I think it is so fucked up. Like, I, I think get it. No. I want to say that I get it. Like, in the sense of, I do think that, like, Julia is not the only one at fault. I do think William basically giving his child up. Like, I think that that's going to have consequences on Alice forever. Like Mm -hmm. the, the only meaning that you can really make from that as a child and growing up is like my own father didn't want me. The person Mm -hmm. who birthed me turned me away. I mean, we think we have daddy issues, honey. Mm -hmm. That's like another, that's next level of daddy issues. Hmm. Like I get that. I think Alice really wanted to protect her, but I also think it was wildly selfish because if you find out that your parent who you've been closest to out of anyone in the world has been keeping a secret and not only that, but lying to you for 25 years, Mm -hmm. I start to question everything. Yeah. And the stark contrast between that and then Cecilia with Izzy and Cecilia decided in her house she's going to tell her everything. So Izzy asks these really hard to answer questions. How do you have sex? How do lesbians have sex? And Cecilia decides I'm going to tell her everything. No secrets here. I think that's such a beautiful way to parent. I think parents think kids can't handle things, but what they can't handle is being lied to. That fucks up a kid, especially about something so massive. And like, in this day and age, especially, I mean, I think it was like 2000s at this time. They probably didn't have like 23 and me or whatever. People are going to find out. I mean, it's yeah. like that just doesn't go to the grave. Mm-hmm. And I think that she never thought that was possible. Julia, at least. Yeah. And I understand oh. why Alice was upset with her. Because if my mom or my dad hid something like that, I mean, that's devastating. That's like a full parent that's out there, especially when her family was only consisted of her mother growing up but also her whole family like she didn't get to meet her aunts her cousin and then when she reconnects with them at the end she's profoundly changed she's like why didn't i get this my whole life i wanted this it's so and it was it was really because of sylvie which i i mean i just feel like i don't know that i could have gone 40 years not talking to someone who had been that close to me Mm. i get being wildly upset I get all of it, mm-hmm. but like, fuck, it took that long. Mm. And who do you fault for that? It's so hard to say. Cause I do feel like, like I wanted Sylvie to be with William, but I get why Julie was upset. I do yeah. think that she unnecessarily held grudges. Mm. Like she could have at least been cordial with Cecilia and Emily. And I mean, what the fuck did they do? Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. I think she unnecessarily held grudges. And I also think she was unwilling to look at her own role in things. Even Rose said, what is wrong with you? You're Mm -hmm. not at the hospital with your fucking husband. Like you Mm -hmm. took vows. She was Mm -hmm. unwilling to see any of that. It was always everybody else's fault. So honestly, probably Julia. Yeah. I 
I agree with you on that one. I think it's understandable at first, but after that long, like, I hope you've moved on with your life. And obviously, Early. Right. she hadn't. 40 fucking years. And it's like, you didn't even like William anyways. You literally thought exactly his mental health was just like, you didn't even like him. You don't think that your sister deserves to be with someone who like, they Mm -hmm. clearly loved each other to fucking pieces. And like, she wouldn't ever have done that had she not loved him. It would be different if they were together and he was like cheating on her with the sister. Yeah. But it's not like that. Julia was over him before they even connected and then yeah i just and like i I can't get over the fact that didn't show up once i mean i'm sorry if the person that i'm still married to is in a psychiatric ward and tried to kill themselves like you best believe that i'm fucking going there julia gave me the ick so i just wanted to be like girl here's a dildo here's a glass of wine go enjoy here's a cigarette Here's Goodbye. Some, here, here's some heroin. <laughs> here's some Prozac. Have fun. But I think that was like the book. It's just like showing cross generational trauma mm-hmm. and patterns. And I think that at the end, I mean, do you think they changed it by the end of the book? Do you think that the family dynamics will be different moving forward? I think so. I re- I think by the end they were showing that they were working towards some sort of healing. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't wrapped up in a bow, but they were openly communicating. There were no secrets left. Everyone was speaking to everyone and being honest about how they felt, which is a huge step for this family who was hiding everything before. So I think they have hope. Do you think they do? I think they have hope. I think I don't like how Rose came and just acted like nothing happened. Like, I think that there has to be a lot of healing. Yeah. You know, and I also was so upset when I thought that Julia wasn't going to visit Sylvie. I know. I I don't know. Like, I just, God, I don't know. Like, I do feel like there's a lot of hope for the family, but they can't just carry on as if nothing happened. Oh, oh no. They need, they need group. Yeah. We need like family which is my nightmare. I, I do not see families. That just seems like the worst thing in the world. <laughs> LOL. How thoughtful and beautiful was William's selflessness to reach out and call his ex-wife, who he freaking hates, I, to come because he knew his sister needed that closure. I love their love. I just do. I feel like it was so sweet. It was. It was so profound. And it was also just like, what I liked about it, and I feel like what we often don't get, especially in our world, is it wasn't performative. Like, they were genuinely mm. so happy to just, like, exist in each other's presence. Mm. It wasn't like mm-hmm. we needed the big wedding and we needed the fucking honeymoon to Bora Bora and the, like, I mean, what did she wear? Like, a gray fucking dress. And, like, like the wedding was just so, like, every part of that just exuded, like, they just loved each other. And, like, that was mm-hmm. it. And in the library, they got married in the library, like so pure. And I love that it was compared to Emily and saying, like, I don't have a choice. I'm gay. Like, this is mm-hmm. who I this is who I love. Like, that really was Sylvie's big love. Which mm-hmm. honestly, I feel like now that I think about it, I predicted from the beginning when she kept saying, I want one of these big loves, like the book. Mm. I don't know. I just I kind of felt like this was gonna happen. I had no idea this was coming. But like, like yeah. I thought William was gonna get sick. Well, that's like a little life. Like we all thought Jude was going to go first, but they never do. That is so true. 
Keith is reading a little life right now. He's almost done and he's going through it with me and I'm re-traumatized. Is he like sobbing or no? He's unwell. He's not well. He I like every sobbing during this book too. Oh, the end of it really ruined my life. It was horribly sad. So Allegra and I have only read sad books for the past eight weeks. We're going to do happy book month August. We're going to try. Let's pray. I'm, I was going to finish this on the airplane and I'm like, God bless that I wasn't finishing this on the airplane. I would have been like losing it next to strangers. And then we were both going to do our next book, uh, The Rules of Inheritance, which is sad as well, but it's a memoir. And we just needed a second to breathe between the books because we're sad girls. This sad girls being sad. One. I just, ugh, I never wanted their love to end. I know. I do feel like they made the best of their time. And I do feel like because they knew it was coming, it wasn't a shock. They got to prepare for her death and spend the time together. And I loved when she was like, I'm going to eat the donut. I'm going to eat the ice cream. I'm going to do the things I want to do. She had so much fun with her sister. They went to the movies. They held hands. It was such a beautiful. But that made that made it more sad. (laughs) I know. Well, made it so much more sad. I feel like Allegra. it did bring up questions about like, yeah, like the meaning of life and like mm-hmm. how we do take life for granted. The difficult times will pass and that there is beauty to be found and how much beauty Sylvie saw when she realized this was her last time to see it. She would notice things she hadn't noticed before. Oh, that's so devastating. I know. We could all like live like that. To yeah. Be honest. Yeah. I mean, OCD, anxiety, depression are awful but imagine if you knew like your time was ending like you would find so much more beauty right than we do every day and like yeah none of us know that we're gonna live forever you know but I do think we often just take it for granted and live I want to live like Sylvie I want to love like her and William does William William love again do you think I hope so oh no I say no I used to be like that but now I think the people who are like who lose someone deserve to keep loving. Oh, that's I don't sweet. want them to be lonely. Okay, I see that point of view. I see that. Is it another sister? <laughs> L- LOL. He's like, I've been through this one. So who's He's left? Mary Cecilia. Cecilia takes Izzy, their stepsisters and cousins. Who knows? So Legras, what do you rate this one? This is hard for me because I feel like the first half compared to the second half yeah. are so different. And it's it's definitely fucking with my score. I'm going to say, oh gosh, I'm going to say a 3.8. I would give it a 3.8. Granted, I thought this was going to be like a 4.5 or 5 out of 5 because you yeah. were like, everyone's reading this. It's everywhere. Like, yeah. book, like I literally thought that this was going to be incredible i was so disappointed which is like sad to say Mm. no i agree i say like 3.6 3.7 it lacked a lot it lacked a lot i i wish i cared more about the characters i wish it was less showing not telling i wish the beginning wasn't as slow i love the second half because i feel like the second half gave us so much more depth yeah that's yeah. what was missing in the first half is it literally just felt like facts. Like we mm-hmm. got married, we had kids, 
we this. And this then I happened. feel like we got like the meat of it in the second half. Yeah. And we got into the emotional journey, which is all we, we care about. I honestly feel like if we didn't have to finish this book, I probably wouldn't have finished it. Oh, I wouldn't have either. I was forcing myself to get through the first 200 pages were rough oh yeah no on page like 75 it was like I just need to keep reading mm-hmm. which I, I don't yeah. think is a good thing because if your beginning is like that mm-hmm. uneventful and that like forgettable people probably aren't gonna want to finish but apparently the fans love it so who knows but the one thing is this writer is a good writer. She's a very gifted she, she has like one liners that will stick with me forever that are so beautiful that pineapple street did not have you know like it's profoundly better than pineapple yeah yeah totally it's just not what i thought it would be 100 in barnes and noble this is on display in the front window with pineapple street they're next to each other and i was like interesting also the title the significance hello beautiful oh i know and that oh my god at the end did they say when Sylvie greets her dad. And oh, I'm going to be like, it. hello, beautiful. <laughs> I lost it. And the fact that it happened so fucking quickly. I know. Yeah. And then when Sylvie died, Alice came and met the family. So another person left, another person joined. So many push and pull. Ugh. That was really beautiful the way she structured that. Yeah. Like, small thing. How is it? I just feel like. It lacked in some ways. Yeah, especially the beginning. I would say if I had to rate the second half of the book, it'd be 4.2. I would rate the second half like a 4.2. Yeah, I could say. So y'all read the second half. I'm kidding. You have to read the first. So yeah, that was our our thoughts. We're doing Rules of Inheritance next. By Claire Bidwell-Smith. We love you, sad girls. Have an amazing week. Get to read it. Bye, sad girls. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and subscribe and follow our show. It's the way that we can get the word out about our sad girl podcast and more sad girls can find their community. And if you'd like to follow us on other platforms, we're on Instagram at sad girls who read and TikTok at sad girls good books. We love you, sad girl.